0: Welcome to K Talks Podcast. I'm your host, Konstantin Starodetsky. This is a space where I interview professionals from the entertainment industry and discuss popular film-related topics with my co-host
1: and producing partner, Romana Dinevska. Our goal is to help and motivate aspiring filmmakers to get their films made.
0: Enjoy. I'm thrilled to interview Valeria Sweet today. Valeria is an American actress and award-winning filmmaker. She is fluent in Russian as well as can speak Spanish and French. Valeria produces, directs, and stars in her soulmate dramas and mystery thrillers. Her upcoming films and series are Once in on a Blue Moon, Contenders of the Lust Will, and Hell for Love. In addition to scripted content, Valeria has published four books. Please welcome Valeria Sweet. Welcome, Valeria.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you.
0: Thank you so much for coming. It's been a long journey of our friendship, I would say. We started way before the pandemic and then so many things happened. You've Mm -hmm. done so many uh, projects and written books, a lot of books actually since then. (laughs) We're going to talk about all of this in this conversation, but let's start with young Valeria. Let's talk about how did you grow up and when was the moment when you decided, or realized, or even just tried to do something creative?
1: I was born in a city of Kazan. It's, you know, in Russia, but it's interesting because it's within an autonomous Republic of Tatarstan, it's its capital. So to this day, I am still learning, like, how it stands out and how it's different being from there and being from Russia. I used to think it's all the same. And then when I moved to LA and I met more people who speak Russian from somewhere else, they were like, Oh, Kazan, that's not really Russian. I'm like, well, no, it is, you know, or I would say things that I thought were Russian, but they were actually Tatar that made its way into like Russian, you know, slang in Kazan. And like, for example, like, means like, let's go. And i like, I'll say it here. And people were like, what are you saying? I don't understand. And then like, I was starting to understand, like, that's so interesting that like where I grew up was actually so different. So um, I was born there and I honestly had a very beautiful childhood. It wasn't like filled with like a bunch of riches or anything, but I had everything that I needed. Like, you know, I didn't have a lot of toys, but like, I didn't know that I, I could have a lot of toys, you know? and i was actually always creative like i wanted to be so many different creative things i wanted to be a singer first i wanted to be a dancer i wanted um you know to be an artist i created my like fashion line and then i made my friends like do a fashion show several times and i would put together outfits and then i started creating like different episodes for TV shows. So, like, whatever my favorite TV show was at the time, like Buffy or Charmed, I was like, okay, let's have this episode, but, like, let's have different, like, characters in there. And you play this and you play this. So I was basically, like, directing and kind of, like, writing, creating at that time and, like, acting, and I didn't know, you know? I was, like, kind of playing with all these, but I didn't have any way of knowing that that's an actual job when i was little nor that i had any role models at that time and i wouldn't actually until way later but it was something that i definitely was starting to do very young
0: what about your parents how uh, were they reacting to your multi-passionate creative endeavors
1: (laughs) (laughs) when i was little (laughs) yeah my biggest supporter was one of my grandmas she probably knew that it was going to be very creative and she encouraged everything that I did. So when I was at her house, I was like in heaven because <laughs> I could do anything and everything, you know, and she would really just like, you know, applaud and make sure that I was encouraged. My parents, I don't think they like realized how as, you know, how creative I was because they were working more. So I was like spending more time with my grandmas. But I know that when I was in kindergarten, there was um, a picture that I drew of my parents and me going, uh, like skiing. And my kindergarten teacher, she like pulled my mom aside and she's like, oh my God, like you drew this photo, like you need to like really, you know, put her into, like, a school or something to do it. And my mom looked at this picture, and she was like, that's interesting that she drew us all together because we went without her. (laughs) (laughs) But my kindergarten teacher... She loved the picture so much, she wouldn't even give it to my mom. She framed it and it for herself. Oh, wow. Uh, I know. To this day, I'm like, why would she <laughs> <laughs> Um But then I had friends who were more or who I thought were more creative than me. So they were the ones who were the artist, you know, the singer, the piano player. So i was at the time the dancer so i went to the dance school instead of any of that it's interesting how we start out and somebody just decides like you're this and you're this and you can't be this Mm -hmm. and so that's how it was when i was growing up so it wasn't until i moved to like north carolina and was growing up there that i actually knew like oh okay so i can draw Mm
2: -hmm.
1: i can also draw like my friend is not the only person who can draw, so I ended up going um and getting my b f a in art and graphic design so
0: nice at uh, At what age did you move to North Carolina?
1: I was twelve, but I actually knew way before like I always kind of knew that I was gonna move to America. It was like not a shock to me. like everything I read, everything I did, everything I watched was American i mean dubbed in Russian, obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I was like so excited.
0: <laughs> well, let's um, take a little detour or so to speak. Your experience watching movies in Russian, like dubbed movies, basically watching mm-hmm. them in Russian, the American movies or British movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I had the same experience. I was, I used to watch movies in Russian uh, dubbed and it was normal. I would even, you know, go and download them from somewhere in dubbed version because mm-hmm. I couldn't speak uh, English uh, at that time or like couldn't at least speak it in a way. So I understand that I don't have to tense my brain. But then when I move here uh, and I start speaking better, <laughs> I rewatched all of the, not all of the films, but all of the ones that I loved. And mm-hmm. it was like a matrix experience, like a, you know, like a <laughs> manio, and I woke up in the real world. W- was, how was this ex- experience for you when you start watching films in English?
1: So my first movie that I actually watched in English in the movie theater was Scooby-Doo with like <laughs> Sarah Michelle Geller. <laughs> and I was actually very surprised because I understood most of it. Like maybe like, you know, 82%. I was 12, so I think it was just normal, like a normal transition. Like, like I wanted to be American, you know? Um, so I can see what you mean by your experience. I didn't have the same experience because I I don't know if I would have known what to look for. It was just something like, okay, well now I'm going to be watching. You know, things in American language, English. Um, so, yeah. But thank you for sharing your experience. That is so interesting.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's just crazy, and I cannot I cannot go back now. You know, exactly like in Matrix, I cannot <laughs> go and start <laughs> watching dub movies because now they feel so unprofessional in a sense because it's not matching like the emotional life of the care of the actor who performed the role mm-hmm. in the movie th- does not really match the voice. And right. there's a disconnect, so I cannot really connect to them anymore as I right. used to. So <laughs> what was the first English lesson that you took or when did you start learning English?
1: The first English class quote unquote, that I was taking was um, I was like five or six years old mm-hmm. and my parents took me to, um, like, this cultural center, like, DKA, Various culture, And, yeah, I had, like, an hour class a week or something. I remember learning, you know, words like lion, sun, you know, hello, how are you?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, I definitely remember, like, that was also the first language that I was learning. Because I also was learning Tatar when I started school. So I was learning, like main languages at the same time. But then English started in second grade. That was like almost every day. We had a class that was really intensive in math and English. So, yeah, we had English like five times a week out of six or something <laughs> crazy.
0: <laughs> when do you think you start actually speaking English, like with real people, with real uh, English speakers?
1: So when I moved to North Carolina, my first culture shock was that the British English that we were learning in Russia (laughs) was not the, you know, the American English and definitely not the Southern, you know, American Uh that I encountered in North Carolina. So I remember people would talk to me and I have no idea what they're saying. You know, first (laughs) of all, they're speaking, you know, with a Southern drawl. They have their own slang. Like they don't say like I want to. They say I wanna. Like mm-hmm. I'm not going. You know, I don't, I, I'm gonna. Which is what I say now. Like it's hard for me to go back. Um, but I remember that it was very hard to start speaking. Like once I moved to North Carolina, I definitely kind of like withdrew from people. For for a minute, I wanted to be around people all the time, but it was hard for me to like overcome speaking because I was so afraid to be wrong. Or, like, I remember I had a pan pal, um, even in Russia. Because so, my my mom and I moved Mm -hmm. because she got married, Mm -hmm. and my dad, American dad, um, he was like so caring that. He had me have a pen pal, which was his friend's granddaughter. So I would ride with her when I was still in Russia, and which made my, you know, transfer over here <laughs> easier too. But when I first met her and her brother, and they were speaking, and they were speaking fast, and I did not know what they were saying, and I was like, uh, like I remember having a dictionary with me, trying to like at least say something, and then. Um, of course, there's cultural differences where I'm trying to say something like we're a game I'm trying to play, and they don't know what it is or like remotely close to anything that's here. So I, I remember having that and being afraid of that going forward. So I would speak to my immediate family, like you know, my dad and my um, my family in English, um, and actually my grandma. She was teaching me English like oh wow yeah I would come over a couple times a week and we will do um, we would watch movies in English like I remember watching um, it's a wonderful life with her because it was her favorite for (laughs) me and yeah so it was tough but then I started school I started eighth grade and um, I was still very shy but I had a couple of friends there, so I would like speak to them, and I would speak back when like somebody would speak to me, but I didn't really start conversations, but later on, I overcame that, and I speak to everybody, and everybody looks at me like I'm crazy, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, now you speak not just one, you speak also Spanish and French, as I know, right?
1: yeah, as we were talking earlier, yeah, so Spanish was interesting to me because. I first started it um, in high school, Mm -hmm. and then I was a part of organization nosotros um, here in LA, and so. But I've I've always liked being around um, Spanish speakers. I think they have a lot in common with Russian people, actually, Mm. Um, and Spanish to me was so easy to learn as a Russian because they also have like you know, p, e, e, and like. Mm. Endings and stuff like that. With French, I actually had the biggest fear of speaking French oh. because my Russian grandma was a French teacher, <laughs> and she kind of made fun of me if I if I said something wrong,
2: uh-huh. which
1: was not a very nice thing to do. Um, <laughs> but so it like gave me this like block for the rest of my life. Um, And even, like, when I went to, like, because I've been to France several times. Like, I've been to Paris, French Riviera. Um, When I was in Paris on my own, I tried, like, I definitely remembered a couple of phrases. And I was, like, trying to say at least something if they didn't know English. But then I watched Emily in Paris (laughs) (laughs) over the Christmas break. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I will try. So I, <laughs> I started on Duolingo and I took their like uh, assessment of like where to place me, and I actually placed out of level one. And I was like, mm-hmm. "How is that possible?" And then it came back to me how much French I actually knew from when I was little, because my mom and my grandma would speak it at home sometimes, and there are like some words that I'm like oh my God, like this is my childhood, like, je voudrais or like, peux, Like I know these words and like some phrases. And um, so it's been actually a really gratifying experience learning French.
0: <laughs> yeah, French is, I, I also interested in French. I was learning it. Yeah, it's fun language. And being from St. Petersburg, it's kind of like one of three languages that you people always learning, like it's either English, uh, uh, Italian, uh, German, or French.
2: I I would say even less
0: so Italian. Yeah, yeah, less so Italian. So it's Mm. French, English, and uh, German. Those are three languages. Like, they even have specialized schools for that. But French, I always love because I I just like the way it sounds. And Mm -hmm. again, after Emily in Paris, it also reignited my passion (laughs) for French. Why are we not
1: friends in Duolingo?
0: (laughs) No. Uh, It's... uh, It's it's a beautiful language definitely uh, worth learning. And you can speak mm-hmm. it not just in France, you can speak it in Canada, right? Right. And a bunch of other countries as well.
1: Yeah, I haven't been uh, well I've been to Toronto, but I didn't really encounter French there. But there are some parts of it that are like specific, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just, uh in um I'm not sure, but I think in Canada it's like official language in some in montreal montreal maybe yeah do you have like a favorite french word or like a sentence that you like to say that you can (laughs) you can (laughs) i was talking
1: about (laughs) the other day my favorite word like i just actually said it but for some reason chapeau like Uh the Uh (laughs) hat. i'm so fascinated with it like i don't know it sounds really good to me like in english there's this word citadel that sounds really good to me Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just uh, really like that. <laughs> it, I think it just reminds me so much of like of childhood. And like in Russia you now, everyone's always like, "Where are you hat?" You know, I didn't shop. <laughs> so like, so my grand, <laughs> my grandma, and my mom would say it football. So <laughs> it brings warm memories.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of uh, like in Russian. There are a lot of French words too. Um, and the Russian authors, as you know. Uh, wrote some sentences in French without any translation in, in books in Russian language books,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which is fascinating to me. And maybe that's why I'm more close to French than any other language. Uh, because of that, because it's kind of like, especially in St. Petersburg, it, it used to, people used to speak French in St. Petersburg a lot, kind of like it considered like a fancy, fancy language to know. Like if you speak French, you're cool <laughs> in a sense. Yeah. And that back time. in
1: like 1800s, mm-hmm. it was. Some people's like primary language, like they
0: didn't even know Russian as well. Mm-hmm. And I think like every other book in Russian has uh, uh, like the story, every story uh, in, in Russian that around that time that takes place around that time have a, a French tutor who comes to the family or something <laughs> like this. <laughs> right. So it was it was proof that this is the proof that French mm-hmm. was quite common. Well, let's move to your projects, the things that you've done so far. And let's start with contenders of the last will. We you had recently you had a book party uh, that is related to this project and you made a trailer. Tell us more about this project.
1: First of all, thank you so much for coming to the book launch. Thank you for reading the book. (laughs) Um, So contenders is the project that I've been working on for a while. Like I first um, got the idea for it in the fall of 2016, like I remember being on the film sets and thinking like, I want to do more than acting. Like I want to write, I want to direct, I want to, and I want to do all this, right. Make my own projects. I had this idea for contenders. I started writing it. Like part of it came from my high school experiences and like different relationships, different friendships and yeah i just started writing like different scenes and then it all kind of came together in a pilot and we ended up filming a trailer for it for the pilot and um we pitched it around town and it got some buzz but everybody would ask like Oh, do you have the IP locked in? Like, oh, you know, it's not based on a book. Like usually you would like a teen drama like it was because it was very similar to like Vampire Diaries or like Riverdale just came out. And I was like, that's a sister show. So I was like, okay, like, what do I do? So I kind of set it aside for a bit because everyone was like, oh, we should turn it into a book. And I was like, I don't really know how yet. And um, And I worked on other projects. I filmed Red String of Fate series in Russia. Actually, I filmed it in Kazan um, over three three years. Like I would go every every year and film a different part.
0: Oh, that's fun.
1: Um, yeah. And then I wrote three books: uh, the most wanted one in the world, and mm-hmm. the book of soulmates, which were like self help books. One is about how to meet the one, like you want a good relationship you want to get married what to look for basically and then book of soulmates and red string of fate are actually connected because book of soulmates came from the red string of fate and it talks about different soulmate relationships you can have throughout your life like you know karmic connections twin flames so i in the book i kind of talk back and forth between, like, you can watch this film and you can also, like, read about what it is and, like, decide what was that like in your life? Like, have you met that person? Mm -hmm. And, you know, different kindred spirits because, like, everybody we meet, like, if you've stayed um, friends with somebody for a long time, they're, like, your kindred person, you know? so And the third book is A Manifestation Planner. So it came from me being a lot productive sometimes. So people are like, oh, how do you achieve so much? And I'm like, I don't, you know, I just do. Um, so it was kind of like manifestation um, journal in a sense where like this is how I like, visualize things. This is how you can do like a vision board. And also this is how you can plan things and schedule things in your calendar. So it kind of like put together two things. So those are the three before the Contenders Mm game. And now Contenders, (laughs) I've been trying to publish this book for a while. You know, I would like get going with it and it was just never really the right time. And finally, it was the time. Like I've been putting it on my to-do list, like my yearly to-do list. You know, I'll put Mm -hmm. like 10 things to do this year, probably for the last couple of years. Um, so it's just been, it, you know, it's the right time. Um, so I decided let's turn this pilot script into a book. So it's in the fiction version, but I left out the flowery descriptions, So it reads really fast. I don't know. You can, you can tell me if it does or doesn't.
0: <laughs> it does. I, I did read it, uh, during my, <laughs> um, time at the Manhattan beach, uh, like I think, Maybe in an, in an hour or or so. Yeah, I think I finished it. Yeah, That's so awesome. Very, yeah, it, it reads very well. Yeah. yeah,
1: it should read like, you know, an episode of like a CW or a freeform type of show. I've been really excited to kind of like get that project going again. And hopefully we get to make a TV show out of it someday. So,
0: so how do you go from, oh, I want to um, write this show to actually creating a trailer and also writing a book and having a book party <laughs> what, what is the what are the steps that needs to be taken to to get to the book party
1: you got to have an idea right you everything starts with an idea and if you don't currently have an idea just start paying attention to different things that you want to do different things that are you know interesting to you start putting in like you know your phone notes like if an idea comes to you, like, write it down and just keep doing that until you, you have a collection of ideas or you decide to like, run a theme. And so you end up sometimes with a script and you do that and then you decide, okay, I maybe don't have the money right now to film the full episode, <laughs> so let's uh, run an Indiegogo campaign and... Uh, you know, price it all out and try a trailer. And we filmed it in a way that it kind of looks like it's a trailer from a filmed pilot, right? Like it's so cohesive that you feel like, okay, where's the actual episode, right? Um, and I wanted it to look like a first look of a show. So I definitely like looked at examples of different, First look, so different to be shows, and I was like, okay, this is what I want. This is what I want it to look like. And then you put together a team, you cast, and you set a date. (laughs) You know, you end up doing that, and then you edit, and um, and then and when I wrote the novel, I had well, I actually have a personal assistant who helps me. She's one of my friends in North Carolina, Catherine. And she had helped me turn the book, like, more into a novel form. Because, like, I asked her, like, okay, this is what I'm kind of looking for. If you can help me. Um, it'll help me then go back to it and then fill in the information. So, um, so basically, like, I had it in the script form, right? So, I had to go from the script to, like, you know, max. And then, what did you do, you know, to, mm-hmm. like... And then Max turns into, you know, turns to the corner and says like, what did you do with something. So yeah, I definitely, after he had helped me, I went and like done a couple more revisions and added some stuff back into the script too, because, or into the novel form, because there are some things that I kind of left out of the script because it didn't really matter. Like you weren't gonna see it. But as the reader is reading, it's important to the reader to see it in the novel form. So that's interesting too. And then you, you know, I publish it on Amazon and mm-hmm. I decided, okay, I want to celebrate. Like I don't want another milestone to go without celebrating it. <laughs> so I decided let's have a book launch, you know, and invite my friends and have, have some fun, have some, uh, Foods like chicken contenders.
0: <laughs> the name, yeah. I was, I, I, also pretty pretty tasty too. Yeah, especially. I was hung, hungry at that moment. I, I didn't expect <laughs> there's going to be food, so I was excited. How long did it uh, take to make a trailer? For example, you started with an idea and then you made the trailer. What was the timeline? How long did it take?
1: So I started with the script, right? So mm-hmm. I had like a sixty-page pilot script,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then I turned it to into a six-minute, uh, like a six-page um, script.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I just kind of pulled things that were more interesting and kind of talked about the show. And I think the idea I had to film in the trailer, I think that was like January 2017, and we mm-hmm. were done filming it at the beginning of that May. So January is when I got the idea. I, started, I ran the um, Indiegogo campaign, like, I think April. And while I was doing that, I also, like, cast my actors at the table, read, Had uh-huh. um, my, like, UPM, then started looking for, like, director, producer, and all that, DP. And then, yeah, we filmed, like, the first week of May, I think, we filmed like two and a half days,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then we were done with editing. I think in June. So, honestly, pretty quickly because it was a trailer.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it, it, it was pretty fast turnaround from the from the idea of making it to actually making it. Yeah. What was the most uh, fun part of making this? Well, let's say making this trailer. Was there any uh, particular moment or uh, occasion or like um, occurrence? during making it that stood out that you'd like to share (laughs)
1: uh sure um well there's a couple actually one of them was that um the first day that we're like really filming because we shot one day it was like a one night stunt scene the fight scene um but the day that we actually shot so i get there and my crew doesn't really know who i am um I mean, they know my my name, but, like, I didn't know them before. So I get there, and I'm, like, hey, I'm Valerian, like, basically the showrunner of the setting. Um, and the crew is, like, okay, I'm wearing, like, the trench coat and, like, you know, kind of, like, messy hair and stuff like that because, you know, we, we're starting early, and, like, I don't care. I'm not acting until later. I work alongside with them for maybe, like, half a day, and then I have my scenes, and... You know, at the second half of the day, and so when it's time for me to act, like I get dressed, I get my hair and makeup done, and nobody saw that process. And then I come out, and I'm like, "Wow, well, boom!" You know, <laughs> and everybody just like looked like, "Is this the same person?" And like, I don't think they knew that I was going to be acting. Like, I, I, I don't know if they knew what I was doing on the project until then, maybe. Um, But that was, like, pretty funny to me. Like, I definitely saw people, like, turn their heads, like, what happened? Um, (laughs) So that was fun. Um, But also, we had some really cool people helping out with locations. We shot one of the scenes um, on a college campus. So we found, like, a friend of a friend who had, like, an office at a college to make it look like the high school. Mm -hmm. So that was super cool. And then also my friend Eddie, he has a house, and he had this beautiful wall, um, like a a bookshelf, Mm -hmm. and we ended up filming at his house a few scenes. So the very last scene of the trailer where you see me, like, turn around, um, with the big bookshelf, that's filmed there, and also the um, the scene, the museum scene with the painting is filmed there, and a couple mm-hmm. of others. So it's just really cool when everybody comes together and kind of like supports the project.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. So so you're saying that you you ha- you haven't uh, paid anything for the locations for the. Oh
1: train? no, I, no, I did. You I did? actually this trailer was so expensive, Um, Mm. we raised like $8,000 and I still paid out of pocket for more stuff and editing. So like everybody get paid.
0: If you're comfortable, let's uh, move to this question that I ask a moment in your life when you failed or that you considered failure that later turned in some kind of form of success is if you're comfortable would you mind sharing with us one of those moments
1: Hmm. well like well i i studied bfa right i went in for graphic design Mm -hmm. and i pretty early knew that maybe that's not what i wanted to do you know I, i was still going to finish it because it was too far into my study to change my Career. <laughs> hmm. um, I was spending more time with people who were like in the production in school, and I was like doing modeling, and you know, maybe maybe instead of like working through school, I was like modeling and doing like projects for free. Um, and so it sometimes felt fail- felt like a failure because. There are people in my program who like they knew like I'm gonna be a graphic designer, this is where I'm gonna work, like all this. And I didn't know what my path was gonna be. Like, I really didn't. Um I knew like I like modeling. I never saw anybody make money off of it, like personally. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously there are like models and stuff that make money off of it, but like personally, did I know them? No. And um so yeah, things in North Carolina, like you don't really get paid for like your creative work. Like I did this, um, you know, awesome, awesome music video, but I only like got got some money. Um, And so I I wasn't sure, you know, I was kind of like stuck in this, I'm finishing this degree. It's really stressful on one hand, because like, I don't know if I'm gonna be doing it. I don't know if it's interesting to me. It's not what I thought it was gonna be. And also, I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. So like, I would talk to people who graduated and I would ask, like, how did you know that you wanted to be this after school? Like sometimes you're not what you studied, you know? And they would just say like, you'll figure it out. Like, it'll just come to you. When I graduated, I thought I was going to be a graphic designer for magazines. For fashion magazines, I thought maybe I'll move to New York. And that didn't happen. You know, I instead ended up moving to L.A. and starting my life here. It was different. You know, acting fell into my lap. And then I started writing and stuff. You know, for a few years, I didn't know where I was going to end up. And I ended up not where I thought. And I like the place where I ended up. <laughs> and I'm glad I didn't move to New York. <laughs> so I don't know if that answers that question.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's a perfect answer. Uh, have you been to? Uh, have you lived in New York? I
1: visited. I've visited. spent maybe like a couple of weeks there, mm-hmm. but not my vibe, unfortunately. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, if you cannot uh, last a few weeks, then that's definitely yeah. not your vibe. <laughs> Yeah, I I've witnessed all the seasons of New York, and uh, I still love it for some reason. I don't know. Uh, uh, <coughs> sometimes I'm dreaming of uh, going back, but um, the weather in LA always wins. You yeah, know? it's yeah. What's yeah. better
1: than the weather in LA? <laughs> maybe San <There's>, Diego. <laughs> maybe,
0: maybe, maybe. Yeah. So it looks like uh, writing has a huge um, importance in your life, and. Like pretty much every project that you start uh, so far uh, starts with writing. Am I am I right?
1: I would say acting is my primary.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The reason I write is to create projects that I can act in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So actually, every book except for the journal have turned into a pilot or something. So actually, even my first book, the most one one in the world, um, I published it after I had filmed this like. Pilot for a series called L for love
2: mm-hmm.
1: so I wrote a few episodes of L for love like it, w- it was gonna be like um, a 20-minute dramedy about a life coach like a lo- a love life coach who helps everybody else but her personal life is in disarray <laughs> so and actually the advice that I give in that pilot episode is directly connected to the one of the chapters in my book Mm. So, um, I think it all starts with, like, what kind of characters do they want to play. Um, because as a young woman in this industry, <laughs> you audition for these things and you're like, I could have written better than this and this is what's getting produced. Righty came out of the will for better roles for, like, you know, kind of multicultural people like me. Mm-hmm. Um 'Cause when I go into casting, it's what they want to see, right? If if you're a brunette and you're Russian, you can't play Russian. That's why I ended up playing Hispanic a lot. Like in Jane the Virgin. <laughs> um, and so you know, it's very like stereotypical still. So and then if they see that you speak Russian on the resume, it's like, Oh, then you you you're just Russian. You can't even speak English basically. Like I mm. remember going to an interview for an agent and he saw my resume probably for the first time in my in my interview and the first question he asked was so do you have an one visa and i was like i grew up here um you know so it's like things like that um so i was like no i have to create work for myself i have to create work for my friends um so that's like running streak from when I was little kind of hit me um, because if I want to continue like acting and making projects like that I want and not just like acting and other people's projects um, I need to make my own content so that's where it actually came from Mm-hmm. Does that answer the question?
0: Um, yeah, um, I guess my, my, what I wanted to actually ask, do you enjoy writing? Uh, do you find uh, joy in um, creating new characters and those new worlds?
1: Yeah, yeah, I really like it. Um, it definitely, you have to like set the time for doing that and for yeah. like the discovery because um, I mean, just like with anything, you have to put the time into it, right? -hmm. But because writing is not just writing, writing is rewriting and editing. You know, you write the first draft and Mm -hmm. then you work on the edit for a very long time. But I do like it. I'm a part of a writer's group, and, you know, it's good to have people who give you honest feedback and will tell you, like, something's not working here, and then you rework it. Yeah.
0: That's always very helpful. Yeah. Especially when it comes to making screenplays for Mm -hmm. that you're going to spend a lot of money to produce later (laughs) yeah so how do you go from oh i want to like find a new gig uh to act or a movie or a tv show what do you search for those projects or do you have an agent or um like what is the balance between projects that you create yourself and then the projects that um you you find outside
1: I have lots of agents for everything you know mm-hmm. theatrical commercial i think the only one i don't have currently i mean like, i guess like the commercial agent is kind of part of print but i would like to find a print agent just like for modeling again that mm-hmm. would be cool so i definitely have people um looking for me but i also submit an Actors access um i'm always like looking on instagram like i follow different casting agencies and like they'll post you know, links to this casting, like do mm-hmm. this, do that. Um, there sometimes will be like Facebook posts, but a lot of it is just from like knowing people, like you've already worked with somebody, so they'll think of you, um, but like, you know, keeping in touch with people is really important. So you kind of like stay top of mind. And um, the balance is, so acting is always first. So if I book something acting wise, That always takes priority Mm -hmm. to my projects to whatever. Um, So, you know, I I always knew that I wanted to be an actress. So, I stay true to my dream, and um, that's the first thing that I prioritize. So, even if I'm working on something, I'll take a break, or like. um, I remember a couple of years ago I booked this commercial and, but I also had like this workshop that I was doing, like a dream life workshop, um, or like vision boarding. And I was like, it was on the same day and it wasn't like Miami. And, uh, I was like, I'm sorry guys. I'm going to have to move the workshop like a week later. Cause I just booked something. Um, and I mean, some people might think it's unprofessional, but also If you're following your dream, then like your followers and your fans and like people who support you and your friends that inspires them because you didn't just say no to your dream is going to make you a better teacher and a better like lighthouse for them to follow their dreams. You know what I mean? So I could have like canceled my acting shoot and been like, oh, I found this thing already. But also, like, who does that serve? Who does that help if I do that? If I say no to that, you know, that maybe it's not my real dream. And when I'm teaching like the dream life things, then mm-hmm. it's like, well, you didn't follow your dream. So what are you teaching?
0: Nice. Let me ask you this question feature films versus TV shows. Which one mm-hmm. do you think is better as a job, let's say as an actor? And what do you think is the future of both? <laughs>
1: Yummy question. (laughs) Um they're different. So if it's a film, it's a little more relaxed because they usually know like they have the budget, they don't I mean they have the time constraints, but if they don't they can always do like the reshoots and stuff. Whereas the T V show you have like these eight days to shoot everything in, you know, and we're going to stay until we finish this day. But at the same time, the TV shows, because you're working so often with each other, you grow closer. So people are, you know, are more relaxed in the way that, like, they know they have a stable job and all of that, unless it's like a really crazy show. Like I've worked some crazy shows where you're like out in the heat for, you know, 120 degree weather outside. Um, and everyone's just like miserable so it just depends on. Um, I think it starts at the top who is the person like leading the fifth of the film or the TV show like um, but for me I think I like films just a little bit uh, more because they don't come as often Mm so you know because like la like tv shows like la runs on tv shows right like they shoot monday through friday or sometimes like you know thursday through tuesday or something so you know you can always like be in a tv show even if you're just like a hand model but films don't come so often especially like big films because films have moved right Not a lot of films um, film in L.A. So when something comes through, you get so excited. Like, um, I worked on the menu, um, so I was doubling Anya Taylor-Joy and they were only going to film, you know, like three days or like, yeah, anytime I was on a big film, they were only filming in L.A. like one day or two days because they were filming in London or somewhere. And I don't have the luxury of going to London and working there right now. But if I did, I would, because that sounds fun, um, you know, working on the whole big production of such big films. And so so it's, like, always so exciting. Like, I remember um, I worked one day, and I, I got my first, like, golden time on this film called um, or Jupiter Ascending. Jupiter, yeah. Jupiter Ascending. you remember? With Mila Kunis yeah. and Channing Tatum. Mm-hmm. And of course I didn't know where I was coming into because they would use code names. And I came in and I was like, Oh my God, that's Mila Kunis. I was like, I mean, I was a little starstruck, you know, and she was so nice. And, um, and they were only filming here for one day at like Warner brothers and they just needed me and this other girl. And, um, I was like, this is crazy. Like, how many people want this opportunity, and they just pick two people to be in the scene with her. And so, when the films come, it's always very exciting. But also, it's not all, not an all the time gig. So, if you want something that's more stable and all the time, like TV shows, great. <laughs> and uh, for the future, I definitely think that blockbusters are the future. Uh, I mean, Barbie is a huge blockbuster, right? Yeah. And it's interesting.
0: Earned more than one billion dollars.
1: I know. Margot Robbie pitched it as a one billion you know, a billion dollar movie mm-hmm. and the marketing campaign for it was amazing. Like you saw pink everywhere and you associated it with Barbie and you want to take a picture with it and you know, and people like really caught on to like the music and the reels and they have a great soundtrack and yeah, like Everybody got on the train, like, you know, like, people in the restaurants making dishes that look pink, like pink, from pink pancakes to, like, whatever.
2: Yeah, everything's pink, yeah.
1: it, like, it's so genius, Um, but I definitely think there's going to be more blockbusters, and I would love to be in them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There are, you know, there's still indie studios, but I'm not sure what the future is going to be after the strike. Like, I feel like it's actually kind of killing the indie studios. Um, But let's keep it alive and make our own projects and (laughs) they'll get picked up and stuff. Um, And for TV shows, well, we've seen the trend from going from like 22 episodes to like eight or 10 or sometimes even like a limited series of like four episodes. Right. Mm. I think that will continue. I think, um, and you know, people have short attention span. So, and for me too, like, it's hard to invest in a TV show if I didn't like the pilot. Yeah. Like I know some people are like, no, no, wait till the fifth episode. And I was like, that's five hours of my life. Or, uh, you know i didn't, <laughs> didn't like the pilot
0: so yeah there are way too many shows right now you have to only watch the ones that you that brings you joy as Marie Kondo would say <laughs> sparks <laughs> sparks joy
1: <laughs> i think you're the one who told me about that book
0: <laughs> have you have you read it
1: yes i've been decluttering yeah. ever since I, I i teach decluttering too now
0: <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you a certified consultant uh, Marie Kondo now <laughs>
1: no but i I very vividly (laughs) believe in in, uh decluttering for yeah
0: that's that's my go-to always like if i need to just clean something just does this bring me joy really does it really spark joy in this moment then yeah let it go the same with tv shows like am i really enjoying the show why am i watching it let's just ditch it (laughs) yeah yeah This is the question I ask um, uh, every guest who comes and um, might be surprised to you. If you were an extraterrestrial from a perfect world where everything is beautiful and organized, and now you're visiting our world with all of its issues, what would be the one thing that you'd fix?
1: Well, you're preaching to the choir. That's how I feel every day. um one thing that i would fix is i think people talking to each other not just kind of like labeling each other like you are of this faith or you are of you know this belief or like you're from this country or you're from whatever like um just following your intuition like Until person did something bad to you like why would you treat them you know any different than how you would treat your friend so I would definitely tell humans to treat each other with respect and just give people a chance I think that's um, very valuable because you, you never know. You know, you never know who's gonna become your best friend. Sometimes you like thought horrible things about this person and you're like, oh, I actually like them. <laughs> 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 you know? So like why just why not just kinda like clean palette with every person and like just get to know them where they're coming from.
0: That's that's a beautiful answer.
1: <laughs> from the extraterrestrial.
0: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that you'd like to add? Um, anything at all? Anything you'd like to share or where people can find you?
1: Sure. Um, so Instagram is where I live <laughs> <laughs> <It's> <laughs> at Valeria Suite official is how you can find me. Well, there's a movie that so I filmed a feature film, Once in a Blue Moon, and we're in editing now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that was an interesting project because I wrote it during COVID. So it's a little bit about COVID, but it's really about this relationship of two people that is possible because of the pandemic. It takes place on film sets, like mm. pre-pandemic, during, and kind of like post. So if you'd like to keep in touch with that one, you can go to film onceinabluemoon.com or once in a blue moon film on Instagram. And you can check that out. And, of course, Contenders of the Last Will is its own hashtag. I mean, uh, its own, like, at um, on Instagram. But uh, besides that, I just want to say that whoever's listening to us, I hope they're uh, realizing their potential and also thinking about their dreams. And if they're not necessarily following one right now, you can always go back to what you wanted to be as a child, when you were like, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years old, like, what did you like to do? Sometimes we don't know that we wanted to be an artist, sometimes we don't know we wanted to be a doctor, but we know that there's some special skills that we were really good at, that, like, either our parents said, like, oh, you're really good at this, like, you're really good at building, or you're really good at painting, or whatever, and uh, pick that thing up, and just think about your childhood a lot, and, like, about the good parts, and parts that people said like good things about, or maybe, you know, remember things like, what did people say? Like, oh, you shouldn't do that. Or um, you can do that. What were those things? And like, go actually do them. You probably can do them. I'm probably really good at them. So always go back to within yourself.
0: Nice. And now we arrived at the final question of this interview. Obsession of the week it could be anything a favorite book movie or something random for me for example this week it's a tv show foundation on apple tv plus i'm obsessed with it and i also reading the book at the same time i'm just in this world of those i don't even want to start but what is your (laughs) obsession something that you've been obsessed with this week
1: it can be a story right i can tell you a story absolutely okay You're hearing this here for the first time. Um, So, (laughs) last night when I couldn't sleep, I remembered about the first script that I ever read, and it was in fifth grade um, in Russian elementary school. And it was a script called The Blue Bird, fini I don't know if you've heard of it, but it was later made into a film, apparently, but I didn't know. So... Uh, one of my pastimes is to think back on my childhood and, like, think, like, about, like, different things to rediscover about myself. And so I remembered, I was like, wow, that's the first script that I read. And I remember it was in the literature book. So, like, it was a part of, you know, the school content. But, of course, we were never going to get to that. And so I remember reading it on my own, just, like, at home and, like, imagining what it would look like if, like, I put it up as like a stage play or like a film, you know, in fifth grade. Crazy. Like, again, I didn't know that that was a thing. So I remembered about that instance, uh, but I've never actually looked it up because I was like, I don't know if it's a part of my like childhood, uh, like, imagination. I don't know if it's actually a thing. Like, I don't know if it's an actual play. So I Googled it last night when I was uh, wide awake at 2 in the morning, and um, you know what the first thing comes up? So it's a 1976 film version of it, which was filmed in Russia, but it's a USSR slash USA production (laughs) of Lian Film and 20th Century Fox with Elizabeth Taylor Jane Fonda and <laughs> Ava Gardner all wow. filmed in Moscow and St. Petersburg, <laughs> and I was like, "What?" Like I could not believe what I was seeing. Like it was, I guess, um, a fourth ever production of like Russia America, and uh, and as also Taylor as like playing four characters or something. So that was the first thing that came up, and. I don't think I saw it before I read the screenplay, but I think I might have seen it and probably just didn't know who Elizabeth Taylor or any of those were. Mm -hmm. But when I found that out, I was just like completely obsessed with like reading everything about it. Like Wikipedia, this, but the author, the play was originally written in French in like 1908. The first stage play of it was like. You know in moscow theater in 1910 and then there was like a british version um and i think american first american version had like shirley temple so it's so interesting because i didn't even know if this was a real play like i thought i might have just imagined it and it really <laughs> is and you know it kind of reminds me of the alchemist so mm-hmm. if you read the book yeah. um you know how like he goes on a adventure to figure out this treasure is at home, right? And um, so this play is kind of about like that. So it's about this um, um, sister and a brother who are, like, young, and a fairy comes to them, and she says, like, help me find this blue bird who will heal my granddaughter. And so she gives them this ability to see the soul of, like, all, like, animals and things, even, like, Bread, clock, whatever, and um, and they go on this adventure, and I will not spoil the ending for you. But it's kind of like The Alchemist, basically like enjoy your present moment and enjoy like where you are and be appreciative of what you have. Yeah, apparently, Stanislavski really liked this uh,
0: <laughs> N- Now you got me obsessed with this. Now it my- become my <laughs> next obsession.
1: <laughs> you-, you can watch a dub on YouTube <laughs> in Russian. <laughs>
0: Maybe. Yeah. I am definitely but you gonna don't go back. I definitely gonna find it. I gotta get a link from you, or maybe I just find it myself and I put it in the show notes. Definitely
1: nineteen seventy six. Elizabeth Taylor <laughs> in Russia.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. It's like it's yeah, it's 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 just insane. Sometimes you just cover things like that and then they blow your mind. You know. There's mm-hmm. like this movie also also Russian that won an Oscar or was nominated, um, Dersu Uzala. Uh, and it's the Russian-Japanese production, and Akira Kurosawa was directing it. And I was like, what? what in the universe? It's almost like Mandela effect or something. Something is like as if from coming from a parallel oh, wow. universe. Yeah. So. What
1: year, do you know?
0: Uh, I think it's like 80s or something like that. Oh, wow. It's not that old either, yeah. So something to check out. I can send you the link as well. (laughs) And I'll put it in show notes too. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Hilarious. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, it was a pleasure, Valeria. Thank you so much for coming today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. That was always so nice.
0: Thank you for listening to RumiK Talks podcast. You can find the show notes at rumik.com. I'm your host, Konstantin Staroletsky. My producing partner, Rumena Dinevska. See ya.